Really Charlie podcast. A weekly show with the one person to make you say, Really Charlie? On the Really Charlie podcast. Tune in. It's the Really Charlie podcast. Yeah, it's the Really Charlie podcast. Yo, yo, it's the Really Charlie podcast. Bumping to Really Charlie podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's the Really Charlie Podcast, whopping through your broadcast, grab a chance through your glass. Hey, 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 welcome to the Really Charlie Podcast. My name is Charlie Perry, and my guest is Ali D'Souza, the one and only, the man that inspires me. And thousands oh, wow. others, you know, doing his thing, actor, producer, director, artist, creator, you know, just plug in, you know, title given is title earned, and he's earned many, many titles, and I'm so happy to have him on here. Um, during the pandemic, he did a nice little uh, documentary, um, Renaissance documentary here in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and um I was very proud to see him at work and uh, along with uh, Eva Brito and they did their thing here in the city, um, bring some smiles to the community um, at a flash, you know, because they were trying to get something done. And uh, before he went up to the other coastline, the sunny, sunny coastline of California. And, you bet. Uh, so now he is here. What's going on? Uh, primo, primo, good to see you. Good to see you. Very glad to see you. I'd always, always, that smile inspires me. And then the words after even inspire me even more when I have conversations with you, when I'm meeting with you. It definitely been um, in my life, you know, sprinkles of it every now and then. But when you do touch down and, and we are in conversation, it really, really is something special to me because I remember when I was probably, I assume it was 18 to the 20 year old meeting you for the very, very first time. And um, I was very, very impressed with you. That was when I was young and slim. (laughs) Yeah. You and me both, man. I, I was proud back then. I said, well, all right. You know, I could run with the cheetahs and I could, uh, fly with the eagles and i could do almost anything back then and uh, now i gotta kind of put my mind to everything that i'm trying to do and uh and make it happen like this like this podcast (laughs) yeah well you inspired me i'm doing i normally on saturdays now do a facebook live at 3 p.m specific standard time but i announced everybody this week my facebook live is with charlie perry on the real charlie perry podcast you know but seen you do it when I met you back there and you consistently over the weeks people have been asking me and I've been like oh what more can I do but you know you humble yourself and realize if people ask you to do something that's actually an affirmation it's a compliment and it's a very humble thing that people whatever's coming through you from the divine source to some extent is something that needs to be shared and when you get to these legacy years like now officially a, a real senior citizen then you gotta, you gotta let it pour out. Let it pour out, and still more can come in. So I'm in that time. So I'm doing that 
following you. I'm not making an official podcast, but I am doing Facebook Lives at 3 p.m. on Saturdays, as long as I get reminded by my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I got a call an hour ahead of this. But you're supposed to be with Charlie today. So I got it. I got it. I'll double check, but I got it. Yeah, if we... Uh... If we did the podcast tomorrow, we would have definitely been in trouble um, with a lot of women, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had to do my Mia Couple. That's what my Mia Couple to use was started by Facebook Live. I felt so bad about missing that one. And uh -huh. I totally missed it because I get absorbed in when you're doing a lot of things creatively, sometimes you just get in that zone. Mm -hmm. And and that's why I said, okay, I got to change my administrative thing. I called my eldest daughter and said, please. I got to take over my calendar. I need reminders. What I put on the phone is not enough because I don't even see it because I'm working. You know, mm -hmm. I got three screens up here in front of me for editing and I'm working on things like that. So that's what started me doing my first unofficial live. And then it became official. So the uh, missing, the first time, apologies again to everyone. That was on oh. me and Charlie. And I got chastised for it by my daughter, and she's taking it. <laughs> and now I don't miss. I don't miss broadcast appointments. I know I have a TV interview on Monday. She keeps me on track and all that kind of stuff. So it's great. Well, we want to give Jayla uh, five stars for being that person that's uh, yeah. making think, making sure things are on point. Yeah, and um, you know, uh, as you called me earlier, she called. She texted me just before that. <laughs> she was she was she was ahead of the game. I yep. just didn't have my phone in front of me, so and uh but uh, anyways, you know, we're gonna give her a high five for high five. Yeah. Gillette. Yeah. The uh one thing I like, um and I'm surprised I haven't did it more often, but when um I see your artwork, you know, and and me being a poet, you know, writer, I get inspired by visuals, things in front of me, um, more so than anything. So when I do see your artwork and I get inspired, I'm looking, I'm looking, I say, wow. And the first thing that captivates me and um, gets my attention is the colors. Those colors are, um, um, are just, you know, they just get me going, man. I said, look at that. I, I, I like that. You know, I like the eyes. I like everything, the ambiance, the atmosphere, just the background, everything. So it just triggers all kinds of good, joyful stuff. So even if the even if you're trying to put out that perception of something that may be slightly uh, dim or uh, a heartbreaking, I still get captivated by that. It still brings me to some words and and. And I just start writing and just get inspired for anything. And what I need to do is attach my poetry to some of your artwork when I am getting inspired. So you can at least know what I'm doing, what I'm thinking when I see your work. Well, brother, I would be honored if you would do that. First of all, I've got goosebumps hearing that that there's a that value in what's coming forth in the in the artwork that I do. But um you know, this whole NFT world has made things very different for our artists. And I would love for us to do a project where we couple my art with your poetry and we'll put a, some NFTs. So I'm doing that now for the big, we're going to have a big fundraiser for the Ukraine I'll talk about later. But I have, I own the name NFT Films because when I saw what people were doing with NFTs in terms of the general sense of uh, like the board apes and the different types of things they were doing, very anime-like. And I saw the animation that was being used, but it was so simple. 
And, you know, I'm a detailed kind of guy. And I had actually looked back and in 2020, during the COVID real, the big shutdown period, I had put together a five-minute video of my art with music and voiceover. And I go, that's still an NFT. So now I'm doing specific NFT projects. And they can be 30 seconds to a minute and a half to two minutes. But I'm finding that people find them very um, impacting, you know? Mm -hmm. the, the, you know. I put some movement in, I put the music in and mix the music and using there's a voiceover with it. And because all my art pieces do have a story, there's not one that doesn't come through with a story. So I put that together. But they ha and we haven't started dropping them yet, as they say, in the blockchain world, because we're really... Um, gearing up the marketing because we're going to use the NFTs to fund good causes, including projects in New Bedford. You know, I saw the money that people were making on them. I said, that money needs to go into our community. What can mm -hmm. I do? So I have now have a, uh, a good team that's been built up since I did NFT LA, which was an amazing thing we can talk about. But um, I'd love to pair my art with your poetry and we can produce something and we can do a, a, a fundraiser right to the broadcast podcast and then put that money back into a community project that's dear to you. You know, nice. I'd love to. That'd be awesome. I sure would. It would, um, it would be something where I'm going to do something in June, um, at gallery X with the local uh, photographer and her pitches. Um, and, uh, and I, I, it's like you said, when people come to you and, and want to invite you to a podcast or be involved with it with a particular event or, uh, or inspiration. And, you know, that's an honor to me, you know, and I, I, it's hard for me to say no, I can't say no to anybody because, you know, for them to reach out to me, I'm, I'm like, wow, yes, I'm going to make time. I really am. Yes. It's, I, I like to say that, um, when ordinary people like us do just a little bit extra, mm -hmm. the world becomes an extraordinary place. And I want to encourage everyone. That's sort of what my life has been about with its challenges and its ups and its positive and great stuff too. But it's always do that little bit extra. And I think that comes from, you know, it comes from good roots, right? And good rearing, but especially right. during the time of uh, the PIGC and Cabo Verde going for its independence. And I saw my father and, you know, your, your your father, who's close to my peer, blessed both their souls as they've left us. But um, mm -hmm. I saw the women and the men come together, the fundraising, everything. Some people went to the embassies. Some people went to the UN. I mean, just ordinary people from here and in the Cabo Verde brought about independence for like three African countries, particularly two, Cabo Verde and Guinea-Bissau. And it was just yeah. ordinary people doing that little extra, being committed, as you said, when people called you to step up to the plate, you know? And so we have that history in Cape Verdean people, but it goes beyond if you look at anywhere historically. It's the regular rank and file people when they take action, not apathetic, you mm -hmm. know? have something in here that they care about and they stop moaning and why say we can do something no matter it's never too small what you do I, it's you, I agree I agree I agree I agree and then the critical mass uh, for change and that's really what my artwork's all about you know that what um you know did this inspiration um for art come to you at a young age or later on in life it's really interesting, you know, Charlie, 
uh, the early early developmental years, like elementary school and stuff, people, you know, back in the 50s, they would say, they don't say they were either mentally retarded or, you know, something like that. And I, they were classifying me that way and autistic and things like that because I wouldn't speak. I was very, very shy, timid, mm-hmm. introverted person because of things that had happened you know, from the, in infancy. You know, there wasn't the best best life for some people, but those experiences turned out to be the best things to forge who I am today. But uh, in the third grade, I had a teacher, and I'll never forget her. I can see her right now by mind's eye. Her name was, of all things, Ms. Miss Figures. We didn't say Ms. back then, right? Uh-huh. Miss Figures. And I grew up in a rural town that was predominantly Caucasians. It was a time in America when I say America's uh, racist apartheid was at its over and worst level. And so there was a lot of abuse going on at every level. You're in a school where no one looks like you, you know, and people are doing things. And that further drives things inward, right? But this teacher, Miss Figure, she looked at me. I don't know what she saw, but one day she walked in and I was so excited. She gave that big art paper, which I had never seen, not regular, like a full art. She put it on my desk and gave me a box of adult pastels. I don't know what motivation. I immediately opened and started drawing. Mm-hmm. Just started drawing and drawing and drawing and drawing. And I go to another sheet. And um, after a few weeks, like in hindsight, she took those, those drawings that I had. She took it to the school principal, whose name I remember, Mr. Dunn, and said, I think we have this child classified all wrong. She said, he's doing Picasso. He's doing Monet. He's mm-hmm. doing... I was doing these classical arts. It was just coming through me in another state. But while I was drawing and everything, she would ask me questions I would answer. So then she realized, oh, my God, this kid's hearing everything. He just doesn't connect to the world. Mm-hmm. This kid was autistic. He's just There's no connection for him. So that started my really my beginning to me, my art career. In the fourth grade, it wasn't fostered. I kind of went back inward. But my fifth grade teacher, Miss Swartz, Miss Figue, told her to let him draw. To just give him, let him draw. You're going to be surprised what he does. He says he'll be straight A student, but he won't, he doesn't talk. So wow. that was my most of the world, even though I did talk some, but I was very timid, shy at home everywhere. And that began my art career. And um, I've always done it fine out, but I also do, you know, as you know, film and acting. And I, that really blossomed when I got to high school. I came out a little bit more and I had a great mentors and teachers in high school. So I did. I was interested in film and theater and stage, which I just loved, you know. So I actually dropped out of music, which made my music teacher mad because I played clarinet and sax. And but mm-hmm. I, I loved the idea because I felt I could be open. I felt safe on stage r- rather than being with people, right? That that what they call what the fourth wall, that aesthetic oh, okay. allowed me to feel open up more. So I've always done arts, 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 but. Um, my secret art was to find out, which is what I knew from that third grade experience I always wanted to do with my life. So I just kind of was a closet artist until maybe for a long time. But then I think it's been about five years ago now, about five years ago, six years ago, a friend of mine who was a curator who I met in the film world, we filmed at one time at his studio. And I wanted to meet another friend of mine who's mm. still a friend of mine, a producer friend, who was an artist and had been showing me his art. So you got to see his art. It's really different. It's very intriguing. But I was always doing art, art and had started perfecting with a digital method. Yeah, uh, I have a long name that I won't even say. <laughs> no, I will say hexahedron morphism, and I'll talk about that later. But wow. this, I wanted to be able to do digital art that looks like fine art. 
you know, and that was my goal. So I started practicing what I call my practicing. So I was doing art every day. I had hard drives full of art, but I brought him to meet my friend. He looked at my friends and said, it's interesting. He said, you know, I think the Nordstrom's like this, blah, blah, blah. But while they were all talking, I disappeared. So I was renting space from him to do art. And um, they finally lost I was gone. And my friend told me, I know this because only he told me, he said, he, he asked for me. And he goes, oh, Ali's kind of rude. He goes into a shell and he wants to go off and do his art. He goes, no, Ali's a filmmaker. And I goes, oh, no. He doesn't think he's not. Let's go look at the stuff. <laughs> so uh -huh. to make the story short, the same gentleman, uh, who I'm still with today, was still my rep today. His name is Ron Cook. He's uh, Ron's senior than me. I call him Elder Ron. So he's well into his 70s. And he started off in Holland, New York when he was 19, curating art when he came back from Vietnam. But Ron came in to where I was working, doing the art, and said, huh, he's looking, looking. And what he saw was I had 10,000 pieces in that particular drive that I was working on. He goes, you didn't, that's not 10,000. I said, oh, yeah, I've been doing this. Like, ever since computers came out, I started teaching myself how to do art on computer because my goal is to be able to do this, even though I do hand stuff, but this is faster. And yes. you can do more. You can do more colors. That's why the coloring is crazy, but the computer can pick up. And um, so I got signed by him, basically. That's how it all began. He says, you got to get this out to the world. And he mentored me for, you know, I was an artist in residence for him. for, You know, and uh, I produced a lot of art and stuff, and uh, we're still going now. Uh, and it's been great. It's been it's a perfect part of my life. Came, came in the late later years, but I'm just like amazed. I'm just filming art is what I do. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I, I like the way my I like where I'm at now, and, and as far as my creativity, and uh, and at this point in my life, I think when I was younger, um, just kind of brushed it off a little bit. You know. It's, and didn't really take it too too seriously um and i should have especially when someone like jabril kazan uh, yes. uh you know especially when he's telling me to do it and i'm like you know i i just wasn't it, it i should have really listened to him um however you know sometimes we're, we're all given certain paths in life and um Lord decided that wasn't my path right now. And probably because, well, because he knew I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to take it, you know, do it a hundred percent, you know, and um, I'm so glad, so glad that, um, you know, this time in my life that I'm really taking it serious and, uh, and, and can't do things like write a book and, and with no hesitation and have it done within 30 days. So, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna release I think two books this year. I, look, I need I got some space on my shelf, and any book that you write is definitely going on the top shelf, and I can't wait. Oh well, yeah, I'm just finishing up now. I'm just doing the last read through of because I have manuscripts. I, I write them. Everything is has been my internal journey. I'm still I call myself an ambivert now because I at least I will get out and do a few things, but. I'm more still introverted when I do. It's not that I'm just sitting around. I've been watching I've been on the TV since 1998, and that was before streaming was available. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm always feeling things coming through me, if you will. And so I write endlessly. I have good songs and poetry and prose and books. But this book, 
I'm very excited about finally saying I'm combining three small books into this one smaller book, well, small book called Silent Spaces. Very nice. It speaks to our social good and how we get there. You know, because we've heard about all these things we've lived through the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and all this. And the truth of the matter is, and I'm going to speak for a moment, particularly to the indigenous communities, and that's the word that I choose to use. I refuse to break up society and our peoples who are the oriental people, which means origin or first. Yes. By this planet who somehow lost a certain amount of knowledge and fell from some kind of grace to where we were colonized and been divided up by all the names that our colonizers gives us. So I say indigenous because I know that refers to people who are, you know, native to that place and first to that place. And I don't want to get into you when I talk in the macrocosm about this black, white, all these labels that mean nothing. And mm-hmm. they've only been used to oppress and divide humanity. Amen. So I, Amen. Yes. Indigenous people, I'm saying that for our folks. So what I don't, I mean all the brown people and melanite people across this planet who have fell through colonialism and have struggled mm-hmm. to regain who and what they are through that process. And I became convinced uh, at a cognitive level a few years back that the psychology of everyone on the planet has been so damaged by colonialism. You know, there are so many uh, thought forms in the mind and the way they want to redefine terms all the time. And someone's in control, decide what the term is, and has a way of pumping that out through media and making you accept this is the term that you deal with. But the one, one of the greatest lessons I learned from my father, and bless him, uh, was that you have to question the terms, the definitions before you can move forward. Because if you're moving forward on something that's erroneous, then you're building. So the cornerstone is not straight. The cornerstone isn't even of good mortar. And eventually, at some point in time, what you call linear time, it's going to fail. And I think that's what we see the failure in so many systems. And we're always trying to repair. I mean, from the political level, repair this, repair that. When the fact is, the premise is incorrect. Everything is based. You can have something now. The government will help you now if you accept that you belong to this group. Because, oh, yes, you suffered from this group. And, yes, this group has been oppressed. So now we'll donate a little bit of money to help you. The resources are never enough. And the problem still exists. And it's exacerbated. So what? The issue is the thought forms are wrong and people keep accepting, we all keep accepting being pushed into those categories of uh, what they want to call you, right? I, I agree. And, I and really it's the uh, people of Cabo Verde who are mestizos are very blended and mixed people genetically, but they, you know, the Portuguese who were the, like the grandfathers of colonialism, they, they take the same family and based on your complexion, you belong to a different group, right? You have the mestizos blanco, the mestizos preto, and the mestizos something else in the middle. So you're mixed, but John, you're mixing this one, you're white, you're mixed, you're, but you're a black. You have the same brother and sister, the same, but no, because you have the dark complexion, you have to go to this group. I mean, I that's great. Right? We know that. And we still suffer as a community from that as well. Hopefully, it's uh, epigenetically, it's been passed on, it's getting better, I see, but the whole world is suffering from this nonsense of complexion making any real difference to who we are as a human being. That's 
like an animal saying, well, because your skin is like, you know, your fur is like this. I can't talk to you or I'm not going to communicate. You're not a bird. I, you know, they have their own languages, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. We, we see animals, you know, we see dogs and cats hanging out together, right? But animals, but we're one species, not, they call it a race, but they want to make us different races. That's been disproven, right? Mm-hmm. It's been proven by genetics. This is one human race. And as a matter of fact, with all the species on the planet, there's only a small variance in the DNA strand that creates all the species. So I'm awed by the divine source. Whatever language you want to call it, whatever religious structure you want to call it, I know that there has to be some, I call it the great unknown known to me. Because we know, I know it, I feel it, I feel connected to it, but yet it will always be unknown. It's like leave a mortal form and can communicate. You know, even better, which I feel happens through meditation and other mm-hmm. different things, chanting and prayers and all this kind of other art forms we have to connect to what is beyond this realm of existence. Did I go on too much, folks? I'm sorry. No, that's a moment. This was on my heart, mate. That this has to change. That's what my art's about. So I really had a vision, Charlie. And I often say the mothers, because we've been forced into a patriarchal system which is the antithesis of what creation is about. And it's not about male or female being better than one another. It is about balance, right? Mm-hmm. And both in biology, we learn, the first thing is everything seeks homostasis. Remember, remember your body seeks homostasis. It always seeks balance. We see that in the, in the visible universe. If we've done some studies in the quantum physics or microscopic world, we see the same thing. Everything is seeking a balance. So what is the balance for humanity? What, what makes us balance? We've been forced into saying this male or this, this masculine energy is because it's got a physical presence in this plane where it's so effect, it can affect greatly when unbalanced. That's, that's, that's the rule. But if we really look at nature, and I, I do this in my art talks, and I do a whole, I got a big series on the divine feminine. And when you look at nature, Okay, so let's look at humanity. In order for human beings to reproduce as one race, one species, you have it has a computer code. We call it the genetic code. It's mm-hmm. a biological code. It's a biochemical code. It's a vibrational and frequency code as well. That code base comes on an algebraic expression because we, we, we represent the feminine as XX and we represent the male as XY. The balance is X, 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 Y to mm. create. It's like it's three to one feminine, one part masculine. It doesn't make this is not a superior, inferior thing. And again, that goes back to thought forms and terms and people accepting them. This is the balance. This is how we are able to reproduce on this planet with three parts of feminine and one part masculine. Even in the gestation period, I don't know how a lot of people out. In our school, we had basic bi- biology and genetics, and we learned about gestation. And one of the things that stood out to me, so I've been thinking about since 10th grade when I first took biology, we started studying these things. In order for a male body to be formed, there has to be first a Y chromosome present. Otherwise, it cannot be a male body. It has to be a Y chromosome present. Okay, hmm. because that's obvious. But on what they call the short arm of the Y, an antigen is released about the eighth day of gestation. On that eighth day, 
if that antigen is released, then that antigen reacts with the gon what they call that what a somatogonotropin tissue of the ovum and says, okay, ovaries, you're gonna eventually descend and become testes. That's the message it brings. And now you're going to have a male. But the prototype for us is female. And action has to take place to become male as a physical form. Hmm. So that even further underscores the feminine energy, which is not about weakness. It's a divine energy frequency, biological code, biochemical code, and the masculine energy that balances three to one. It's as simple as that. But because someone wants to attach superiority and inferiority to these things, then the whole conversations get confused. And that to me is so sad. So what happened was I had a really profound vision. I was doing my already, and there's a big piece of her. She's back there. I don't think you see her. Um, I called the Melanite Madonna now, you know, and she just came through. I saw her vividly. I came to the computer. I didn't even know I was doing this piece. I just looked up, it was there. That was the experience. But the message I got in my higher superconscious was that you continue to do this art, your, the frequency and the vibration of this art will help imprint humanity to move towards their higher self. It's not me, that came in. And so very, I do very little cognitive work when I'm doing my pieces. They usually, I've done some chanting, I've come through, I've had a vision, I've had a dream at night and it wakes me up and I go to the computer. And I had several times where I really, to me, it was a blackout. I just look up and there it is on my computer. Mm -hmm. And man, one, one piece I did was so great that I have a, you can't see it right to my right here. Oh, my right here. Yeah. Is a, a, a vertical where I can stand up and do voiceovers and also not sit so long. And so there's an edge right at about, just about my eye level. You know, you nod to sleep. Yeah. I woke up and my eye was a quarter of an inch from being put out by the edge of this uh, vertical desk. Wow. But I woke up, but I noticed all this light on my computer. I turned on, there was a full piece. I have no recollection of working on the piece whatsoever. None. Wow. And that's happened four or five times. So I just say there is whatever it, it sends, whatever that super conscious things that works, that comes through, and then manifest something in this plane. That's what happens with me. And I just try to be humble and, and let it come through and not adjust it for my cognition, if you will. I agree. Very nice. I love that. I love that lesson. That lesson that you just shared with all of us. It's um and uh before we move on, I just wanna Michael Sameo says, uh I can never pronounce Michael's words, man. He, he just, he's, you know what? I need to go to a, a I need to, my pronunciation, pronunciations of words need to come out a whole lot better. But um, Michael's comment is uh, homo, homo satius, satius, the unappreciated, the unappreciated and for the too often ignored central organization, organizing principle of psychology and i agree mike is great you're right michael is um you know he's, he's he's number one to me number one fan of the really charlie podcast and everything that i do a very loyal 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 friend of mine and and um 
know, but I, I like he teaches me every day, just like you just taught me in a few minutes. Um, I treat my friends as as teachers. And eventually I want them to treat me as a teacher also. We can live and learn from each other, regardless of our age. We're all just there's always a teaching moment in every conversation. And so I um you know, I enjoy talking to as I say, my people, and, 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 and Michael's one of them, and the guy teaches me so much on a daily basis. And, um, so the, um, it's, it's, um, I, I talk about, you know, you just talked about, rather, you just talked about, you know, just doing things, and then you, I don't know where it comes from. You know, I'm like, I, when I'm writing, I'm like, where did that come from? There's still a poem that I wrote, and it's one of my favorites. And I'm like, where did that come from? What inspired me? I don't know. I can't even remember where I wrote it, you know. But on the bottom line, it says my name. And uh, I just don't know where it comes from. But like you said, it's in higher power. It just comes out of you, and it's made for the universe. The... um. I want to go in. I want to share some uh, a video of yours, and oh, it'll be surprised what you share. Yeah, let's see. Uh, I'm gonna show some of your skills here. Different things. The bench. One more, one more. Okay. I hurt. I don't know what to do. Why? Because this is a sure thing. I mean, why should I risk that? Faith. What? Faith believes when there's every reason not to. No. Then you would lose because you never believed you could win. Right now, everything is possible. Can you teach me? Why? Because you're the best chess player I know. No, I'm not. What? When I was 15 years old, near the top of my game. I was playing in a small tournament in New York. I expected an easy win, no real challenges there. Then a 14-year-old boy sat across the table from me 
As soon as the game started, I knew what he was. I never really had a chance. I made the game last a while, but I never really had a chance. The boy went on to win that game and the tournament and many other tournaments. He became an international grandmaster. Okay, so you lost once. Yeah. And I never forgot that boy's name. His name was Ralph Consley. Your father, Aaron. Mm. I don't know why he's never told you. Your father's international grandmaster. No. That's not possible. Ask him. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I love it. The uh, Tell me something. Uh, let me get this off the screen here. Yeah. Yeah, I got to see your face because I'm alone. All right. <laughs> I don't keep... the, well, the first yeah. piece is one of my uh, passion projects that we were all set to shoot it. And I was doing that with the uh, Native American, uh, with the uh, Pequots and our handsome Mohawks. We we're going to shoot on the reservation. It was all ready to go. I went there, scouted and everything. And then the last minute, I mean, at the very last minute, the producer just pulled all the money. Hmm. Right. And like the, the biggest thing in my heart is to be able to do that. I have two heart projects, and that's one of them. That I have to, number one, uh, to uh, make amends, because even though it wasn't me, it was I was the you know, director, writer, everything, the producers can hide and do that to you. And um, so it was pulled. But that project, it's interesting, is uh, it's very much about what we've been talking about. I think that comes through in a lot of the films that I write. Um, the lead character, which I play, starts off in the movie as a he's high-powered lawyer, but he does pro bono work. That's his big thing. To pro bono because he's a descendant of some uh, Brazilian, Portuguese, African community. He came, was born with a silver spoon, right? He has a lot of money, but he turned it all into doing work for the community. And he has some guys that he hangs out with and all that kind of stuff. It's really a neat script, but he hasn't. He gets shot by the police. Hmm. And you know, there's going a lot of that. And the police then they were because he's such a high, powerful person in the city. And they just because, you know, he was helping someone, really rescuing someone. And he picked up his cell phone, you know, and they just shot him. And he ends up being impaired cognitively. And so you see, see him in two different phases through the film. But hopefully at the end you find that the cognitively impaired uh, gentleman oh, is my alarm for another something else. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I shut off all the volume, but not on the alarms. Both <laughs> sorry. So, to me, when I look at the script and as I see this stuff portraying this, that and I I reread my stuff and I leave it for a while because I was back. We wanted to do that. Um, it's two thousand five. It's uh, at least three years, if not four or five years ago, when that happened. Mm -hmm. and, so I still read to keep in touch because I keep them alive inside of me. But the person he became after being impaired was even greater than the person he was when he was doing all his good work and had this great mental power prowess and all this stuff. But he had a little edge to him, you know? There was mm -hmm. still not that complete humility. He had a little edge, you know, when he would, he would play his power with his wealth and his mental prowess, even to the politicians, if he wasn't getting what he wanted. But mm -hmm. after being impaired and 
thinking he was gonna be they thought he was gonna be he was done, he he ends up getting sort of Forrest Gump, he gets lost to his, his community, but and he's kind of wandering around and he ends up at the place working with someone is all in but the bottom line is he becomes even a more magnetic person. So I feel like he was able to get in touch with his soul, which is to me it's always been the journey that I felt I've been on from my inner self to what is this thing we call soul? What is this essence that makes us have be alive? Without it, there's no life, right? So it's something to me that's beyond biology. So that's what the bench is about. And I believe the artwork we're doing, some events that took place that we can talk about later, we'll be able to probably hit that project next year. Well, maybe next autumn. You know, I think very so. nice. Can't we'll wait. Back, we'll shoot on the East Coast with the same people and uh, and help uh, the things. Uh, you know, complete that cycle because it obviously wasn't this time for that to happen. But that was sort of devastating for me to have that happen, you know, because uh, there was a lot of input, a lot of people, uh, some friends put their efforts out, had gone and talked to all the tribes at the tribal uh, national conference and all those things. So uh, it's really important to me to get back and complete that project. And uh, just a shout out to the, the, the video and the video, there was um. Uh, my cousin Quinny was in the background. You might not; she was there for a second. But the uh, young actress Cree Armstead, who's is African and Native American, she's really Cree because she's Cree Cree Armstead. Mm-hmm. She had auditioned. And we're just going. To, I was going to a place where we're not going to be to talk about the project. And it was the first time I'd seen her live. I'd seen her for real. It just blew me away. She just blew all the other actresses away. I said it's got to be her. But when I met her in person, it was even more. I said, "Can we shoot right now?" Yeah, and literally shot that on a cell phone. Very nice. The entire thing. So everybody, listen up. This, if this is something that you like, photography or film, don't say I need this and I need that and all these cameras because that trailer, which has won some awards because trailers go into competition too, was shot on the cell phone and it was totally spontaneous. Very nice. And uh, so that's Creamstead. She was wonderful. Uh, this is the lead, the lead female role in that particular film. Also a really good friend of mine who's a wonderful uh, sister doing great work down in L.A., the woman in the shower. That's Audra Bryant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look up on Facebook. She's a singer. She's got wonderful books, and uh, she's doing a lot of help for women in our community to find their wholeness again. And the, the shower scenes were done by some people of hers that was incorporated into them. And uh, so I'll shout out to that team. I don't remember their names off head. Uh, and uh, then uh, there was me. Mm-hmm. And, and the scenes where you can see this gentleman is definitely impaired, you know, but he's still carrying on that very expensive leather briefcase that as a lawyer, you know. And so, yeah, yeah that's, that's very nice. The, the uh, second, second one. Yep. Go ahead. The second one. Well, that's my first lead role in a feature film, uh, an independent feature film. I'm my first one. And uh, it was, uh, I played this judge who was a great chess champion, great chess. He had actually had a chess he had in his mansion. He would play dozens of people at the same time. And that scene's in the film. He would go around and he would be playing everybody, just go to the board and make the move and keep going, keep going, keep going. Uh, but uh, that young man who's the lead role in the film, uh, it's about his journey in using chess to you know, to come of age, so to speak. And that's kind of what that movie's all about. And that's a, a big scene where I finally dropped the big bomb that actually I'm not the best chess player, you know. And why isn't your father, why, why, why did he reach that status and leave? Mm-hmm. 
And I was the guy just below and obsessed. Well, I was still obsessed with it, still feeling the pain of having that loss at the age of what, what does he say in there? 15. Like 15. Yep. He lost. He still remembers. <laughs> he knew. He recognized that there was someone was in better or a degree had a, had a connection better with this, this uh, game of chess. So an interesting movie. It was a Christian film. And I think it stayed uh, in, that, in, that, in that category. I think one of my uh, Pentecostal friends, he told me it stayed on the top of the charts for the, in Christian films for almost like nine months. <laughs> wow. So, uh, but, you know, when you're just an actor in it, you may play a role and not like the film. And I'm such a critic. I'm, a, my, I'm my worst critic and best critic because I think it's my edge. But I didn't like the film, so I never. If I don't like the film, what I see, I never tell people about it. <laughs> <laughs> I I'll tell you what. You know, there's some. That scene was organic. You know, it was real. It just um, you know. So, those are the things that capture my eye when it's just a normal conversation. Right. Some reality to the conversation. Um, and those are the things that capture my eye, whether this, the film is new, old, I, I just like it. I mean, I could sit down and, and see a movie from, uh, you know, 19, 1950s, 40s, and it would, it would captivate me and I would watch the whole thing. And all I did was just walk by the TV screen. I seen it and I was like, wow, I'm flipping through the channels. Um, so, but when things are organic and real. That's um, I'm all over it, you know. So, believe it or not, they say reality shows are real, but to me, it's scripted. They 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 try. Yeah, I was getting ready to say that. I I I don't think I ever watched any one reality show in uh in in its full you know capacity. I've never. Never watched a full episode. I, it just turns me off, and I say, "Why am I wasting my time? I could go do a podcast right now." Yeah, and likewise, I'm, likewise, my friend. None of it's can happen. Yeah. It's funny that you should say that because I I do coach actors and teach actors, and my my there's so many methods. I was a classically trained actor based, and I'm going to shout to my teacher, my freshman Bob Dolan, who said, "You belong on stage." I argued with him. Gave him a hard time, but by sophomore year, I had the bug. I played the lead in almost everything that happened in school, you know, in my class. Very nice. Quite everything, and I excelled at it, you know, because he meant to be so well. He was a soft but hard taskmaster. He always gave me a one-up of what he would give the rest of the class, you know. Like, for instance, we had to produce a play on paper. Draw the design to set every level, the makeup design to it all. The whole class got the script anti-made. So say there's 20, 20, whatever, how many of us were in that class? But I saw the stack of red scripts, one yellow one. And I just mm -hmm. knew, why does he get that? Maybe it's just a different version. No, he comes on hints, the yellow one to me, and it's called Inherit the Wind. So I had a different script and no one on my team. But that is why I can do what I can do today. Because I produced a book. Yes. I, just, I, I thought of everything about producing a play, which we had been taught, but I produced every schematic on graph, on point, right down to the detail. And that's been extrapolated into all the things that I do. That's why my art is very detailed. So I always give him a shout out. We still stay in touch, you know, and now we're peers because it's not that big. He, they were just out of college, so there wasn't really that big age gap like you think when you're in school, right? Especially as yep. a 
But uh, yeah, Robert Paul Dolan, he was the voice of the Green Giant. Or one of the, I think the Elf. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, he taught me voiceover. You know, by the time I left high school, I had been on, had two radio shows. He just he just poured himself, not just me, all the kids in the class, and there's a core of us that just kept working together, debate, public speaking, you name it. And uh, but uh, he classically trained us, and I went on to the University of Massachusetts for a couple, and I majored in finance, but I focused on acting. Hmm. And uh, then I had real Stanislavski training and all the different Alexander methods, all those things, and. Uh, got exposed to even more, more classical stuff and modern contemporary things. So it was really, really good. Um, interesting enough about that little phase, I dropped out of school, you know, I didn't uh-huh. really had some scholarships when that money ran out. I was, I had, uh, I was on my own. I really couldn't afford, but more importantly, the reason why I dropped out was UMass Boston had opened. I was going to the South Boston campus. And for those of you who are not from Massachusetts, South Boston, I don't know what it's like today, but the back at that time, that was a place where people who looked like me and Charlie didn't really dare to walk. Mm-hmm. And literally, I don't know if people knew that when we would take the bus from the South Shore, arrive on Ashmont Station, right? And then there were buses outside the station to take us to the campus. Do you know who met us? The National Guard. Because oh. what the uh, Caucasian young men were doing, women were doing, if you're standing in Ashmont Station, which is a subway station, a bus station, they were pushing melanite people onto the third rail and killing them. This was a regular occurrence to the point where they literally put us on the bus with armed armed National Guards, took us to the campus, same thing to come home. But now you're involved in campus life. What if you're late? Yeah. So that happened to me once, you know, and um, I didn't know what to do because I was still still pretty introverted. And I was found a place in the building saying, maybe I can hide all people. I had no idea what to do. And there was um, uh, and another classmate. His name was Bobby McLeod. I said, well, I'm a very tall guy. And he said, well, I'm going to go to a party. So occasionally I'm thinking, like, is this a setup? I don't mm-hmm. know what to do. So I said, Bobby, you know, we're friends at school. But, I'll, you know, if I walk outside here now, there's no, no, I can't get home. You know, I don't know where to go. He says, no, look, you come. You can spend the night over. I'm sure they'll let you stay the night. So I ended up going to this party in the North End when that was scary, right? No one with the North End's reputation. But because I was with him, he got me there. And I ended up spending overnight, yeah, at the People's Party's house. And it was okay, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that was that hit me so hard, I dropped out. I wow. said, this is every day you're going to school, you're thinking about dying. I have, people, I have no idea this was going on in the North, the liberal North, yeah. right? Back in our time. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that as a negative, but that was just the experience. And so from that point, I just depended on total self-learning for anything that I did. Or I would take courses. As I, I felt like I needed them before there was online, you know. So I ended up going to Rhode Island College to do some things. I did a lot of biology stuff. There. So I need what I think is a, a place to get some outside learning or to have access to it. I would just enroll in a course and do that. That's kind of been my learning curve throughout my life, you know. Very nice. It uh, the um, those experiences, and, and I I always say there's some amazing stories within community in the state. Um, and I wish that um, we would get more of it out there, you know. And that story in itself could be a documentary. Um. You know, and, and and usually 
usually we hear I mean, this this perception. It's not a perception; it's a reality that yeah. you know, and uh, and we experienced it. But those are the things that I like. You know, believe it or not, the Wahlberg family um, from <laughs> you know from Boston they got a yeah. great they got a history. Yeah, they got a history, good, bad, and ugly. Right. But you, but you know what? The one thing about that family is I like how they bring that ugly to light just as much as they bring the good and the bad. They bring it to light. Yeah. Some some they, some people that were born and raised in New Bedford are very dear friends of theirs. And so, you know, when they talk about the parents, the mother, and so on, how caring she was. Um, so there was... They didn't have an opportunity to look at anything that maybe one of the boys had done in the streets or whatever. They basically said, that family's been good to me for decades and we're different color. You know, so the, um, I just bring that out because, um, I, I like listening to anything, Massachusetts and, uh, the Boston area appeals to me a whole lot. So I'm glad you bring that message out. Well, that story yeah. out. And I like what you said too, because we also have the same thing in our neighborhood. And I, and I remember it was this traditional thing that may, many people may not know, especially nationwide, that if a quote unquote black family moved in, then the white family would move out. But the little Tabanku, you know, like we call it the little village or neighborhood where I grew up, um, which was like Cape Verdeans, some African Americans, West Indians. They every time someone moved out, they call a friend and had to move in. So we had a little strip there in that rural town that was all us. You know, it was like a lot of you know, like twelve homes, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, but when times were really hard, you know, there were different times where there was uh, like downturns in the economies and people were struggling because it's a little rural town. I remember because we garden, our garden was like a little mini farm almost. I remember those same white families. You use that word loosely, would come and knock on our front door and ask my auntie if they could get something to eat. And mm-hmm. she would call me and send me out. And they might be asking for, can I have some t- a couple of tomatoes? Or they would ask me for something small, but they needed a bushel of food, no matter what had transpired. And that's why I think I see the world in such a lofty way because even with all the violence and different things that happened to me personally, I witnessed or whatever, there were always people who were like the salt of the earth, the soulful people, and they just dealt with their humanity. And mm-hmm. so I, all that experience, I think, has benefited me in my film and in my art and just, you know, in writing. Awesome. Um, let's go into uh, revblue.co, it is, right? See yeah, that's the other. Well, Chai, that's really exciting because as long as I have breath, I'm going to keep trying to energize and build a legacy uh, for my family and for our communities because the thing that has always been is resources, resources, resources. And, you know, particularly uh, the people who grew up in the rural areas of the South Shore of Massachusetts and the Cape, they're salt-of-the-earth people. They know how to work, you know. They know how to uh, really make an effort no matter what's happening around them. And so growing up in that environment, and I became an entrepreneur when I was 12 years old. I started my first business because mm-hmm. I saw a world that I didn't know was gonna, I don't know if I was ever going to be able to get a job because of how I looked. So I learned business, you know, and how to do it. But um, so Rev Blue 
fast forward to 2022, it's a medical space company and we have a simple, simple mandate. Last year, 16,000 Medicare clinics closed. Medicare, remember, is servicing people 65 and up. That's automatically they move you on if you have, if you have uh, uh, affordable health care, right? Yeah. And if 16,000 Medicare clinics close, the loss to our communities is great, particularly when our communities of indigenous people have high rates of high blood pressure, diabetes, and what was the third one? Uh, I published diabetes and um, what am I missing? Let me see. It's escaping me. I don't know. That's funny. I'm sorry, folks. I'm having a mental infarction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but these chronic uh, ailments that plague our communities, which need regular medical, that's life med- medical treatment, life saving, whether it's insulin, high blood pressure medicine, uh, whatever they need. Um, is great. So on that page you're on right there, which is the About Us page, yep. that talks about it. You don't have to play the video. It's a simple two-minute video about our mandate. But we're doing wonderful things. What this company does using AI technology, it can go into the electronic health records of any health facility, any small doctors, clinics, hospitals, whatever, and run a report. And we do it for free, absolutely free, it doesn't matter whether it's a high-end, modern-end, county clinic, doesn't matter. Anywhere in the United States or U.S. territories, I'm working right now with the Virgin Islands, and it'll run it and tell them exactly where they're not Medicare compliant. So the wow. Medicare compliance is important because now the federal government has had penalties if you're not. So watch this now. Most of the clinics that are serving our communities operate at best a 13.4% margin. At best. Wow. Penalties is 9%. And that's 9% against your total reimbursement. Wow. That's why 16,000 closed last year. It looks like eight to 10,000 this year. But what's the upside to that? There was an AI developed for the government, for CMS, which oversees medical services for the government, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, and all the veteran care. But here we're focused on Medicare only. The company who developed the initial AI, which I was working on, I actually was developing an app to go through that. And then through another colleague that I knew in business, found out that someone already did it, worked with him. We own a master license to that technology. So mm. this is how I talk to Divine. I'm working on technology that's going to take three years, and, and we're going to do it in one. And lo and behold, it comes to me just by divine grace that someone knew the guy who developed his company and developed the technology five years ago. Save me some money, <laughs> and we were able to get a master license, which they weren't doing, because medical space is so litigious to that technology. So we're able to go and say, for let me say, for a small, I just did two two uh, centers in the West Indies. Even before I've done the complete free report, just an overview report that the government gets from the same company to to rank these facilities, I found that each one was losing a half a million dollars per year. And revenues. Wow. Now, some people, that may be small to some people's ears, but remember, the average doctor is only making $150,000 a year. And believe me, they're working hard. They take uh, they take people every 15 minutes now, which wow. is why they're not compliant. They're not compliant because sometimes if someone has, uh, for instance, diabetes, 
There's AC1 test that has to be done. There's a 40-minute assessment that has to be done. There's a 30-minute assessment that has to be done. And these things are not even happening, which makes them non-compliant. So we can tell this because they haven't built for it. So here we have the AI going this way. We point to the government. He's ranking all the facilities um, in their compliance level, helping them penalize them. But so these people went back and said, look, we can take the same technology and help them recapture that so the facilities aren't closing. Otherwise, our system is going to implode, and it's going to affect the people who get served least. So that's why it's a passion of mine. That's what, that little extra. Mm -hmm. So I formed this company, Red Blue. Uh, Colin, a guy named Colin Roth is my partner in it. He's a great, great guy. He's a Australian import. Now that's like my home away from home. I love Australia, but um, just mm -hmm. a great, great human being. And uh, what we're doing is we're now hiring independent contractors who have contacts in the medical space. That's what we're doing because the revenue is amazing. We're making millionaires. Wow. Making millionaires because we do everything for free. We run the free report. They can take it and go become compliant on their own. That's not going to happen. That's why they're not compliant. They say, can you help us? Yes, we can. We have over 20,000 doctors, nursing assistants, and physician assistants that we assign for practice need who know the system, understand it, and bring them into compliance, okay? Mm -hmm. And when we bring them into compliance, we recapture that lost revenue. Very nice. Amazing. And it's, 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 it's a, and now doctors are getting it because the penalties by the end of this year will be 9%. They've realized we have to do it. But we're looking, they can have been in pharmaceutical corrupts. They can be a nurse, but have contacts. They can be someone not in the middle, but have no people. We hire them as independent contractors after overhead is distracted. Yeah, we own the company and there's just two of us. Guess what? We treat the independent contractor almost like they're a partner. We split the revenues three ways. Wow. That, that's, that's, a yeah. podcast, that's a podcast in itself. Yeah, well, okay. That. We'll talk about the podcast. We'll break it down for you. But it's a great opportunity. Sure. It can be through the Revlue website. I just brought a gentleman on from Texas that's going to do some amazing thing. He's in my peer group, but he's been around the globe and has big contacts. And we... Just to give you an example, one young man, he's not on their own license. The only other master license, he's under them. They brought him on board as an independent contractor. The first time he went out, Charlie, he just talked to one doctor that was in his warm circle of influence. He said, what? This is what's going on? He said, I don't want you to run a report just on my practice. I head up over 3,000 doctors. I want them all to have a report. Hmm. We want to see where we stand because doctors do care. The system, as much as the system doesn't care, the systems are systems. It takes people, humans to think, heart to go in and make an effect. So, and we think we're going we're gonna to save Medicare. We're going to keep centers open. At the same time, we're going to put resources into our community because we're literally making millionaires. Wow. Uh... And to give people an example, because some people may be listening, on an account, like I just mentioned, that one the West Indies, on a half a million dollar lost revenue, we bring that account on board. You know what the independent contractor is going to make on that account? They're going to make $30,000. Wow. Guess what? But that's residual. Mm -hmm. They make it that same money every year. We don't keep it as a company. Other companies would say, okay, you got paid, right? Yeah. No. We, it's residual money. Call us. 
the independent economy, they get the reward as long as those people keep using our technological platform, and they will and do because they don't have to, it's more expensive for them to go hire the resources. We can do what they would want to do cheaper. And they, were, and they were losing the money anyways. Michael Sameo says, I would love to love the opportunity to assist Ali with the, uh, with his mission. Which is great. Okay, Michael, since it's a live broadcast, I'm going to uh, go to the website. Uh, you can see the corporate line on that and call me on Monday or shoot me a text first, say who you are, and call that corporate line, and I'll put you into the process. Uh, we're bringing people on every single day, and it's not a fast thing, but um, it's amazing what's happening. I'll give you one more example. There was a woman at her community. She only cared about her hospital. Yep. She talked to that hospital throughout an entire year. So basically they said, okay, run the free report. Go ahead. We'll do it for us. So we did. She took it back to them. Guess what? They were out $421 million in reimbursement monies that they weren't capturing, which Ooh. meant they were super out of compliance, which means they were about ready to get a hefty bill from the government and lose some more money. Uh, well, I can say what that's going to mean for that lady, and it sounds too, it's not a too good to be true, the MedSpace company, MedSpace in this country, is big business. We want to put the heart back into it by making people get served. And the doctors want that too. I talk to a lot of physicians in all areas, but we deal with primary care physicians mostly. They really want to, to do better. The system prevents it. It has too much demands. It's not enough. And we can help, and we are helping. But that you know, that woman now is seeing a revenue. You ready, folks? You think we're not making millionaires? Of $12 million per year residual income. Wow. So, yeah. Because that's saving them $421 million per year. We're bringing that revenue back in that they weren't even collecting. Amazing. So that's what she gets. So capitalism can work if you have a socialistic mindset and you just share. Capitalism doesn't work only because of greed. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work because of greed. If it wasn't greed, it would work. We have a money system. You just have to share. So that's that's the principle, like everything else in life that I believe I was taught and was raised on. And fortunately, I met Colin. He's very much in the same mindset and heart and spirit. We said, okay, we start this company. We're going to do it, and it's just it's just picking up every single way. I'm so excited about it. And it's also what's going to allow me to do the bench and my heart projects in film, because I won't have to beg to some producer to pull out again. Very I'll nice. just fund it myself. Very very nice. Yeah. You, uh, yeah, um, you know what? Yeah, yeah, you're teaching on this podcast, and I really. Oh, I, I know. He's talking, brother. I'm not doing uh, it. Uh, I, I, this is real nice. The um, one thing you mentioned is um, voiceovers. It's something I've been looking into. It's something I want to do. Um, you have a great voice. You should definitely. Uh, really, and uh, so uh, there's a uh, some. A local uh, studio um, on Union Street downtown. So um, I think I'm just going to sign up there and do it. I have different profiles set up in different companies, but I know I got to talk to you about it. And um, yeah, I have a voice set up right here. I'm uh, looking at it right now. You can do it. You can put it right in your home. I have a 
I, but the most expensive part is no longer the mics. Technology's changed everything. I had a, a synthesized mic with like $1,500 microphone. And then they came up with this blue magic technology. And all the um, transformers, everything is actually in the mic. So all the hisses from your computer and all the tech sound is taken out automatically. And you, I can record 98.9% .9 of what I do. I'm just picking a 98 number on yep. that mic. You know, I the other mics in the bag in my in my uh, supply. You know, my my gear closet, my gear armor. I have an armor in the other room. It's got all my gear in it. Just I never pull it out. Uh -huh. You know, and uh, I just use that. And the other thing is, I, I'll give a quick tip for people who are listening. You want to hear the poor man's uh, the poor man's uh, uh, voice studio? Yeah. I was supplemented by the number one voice of artists, uh, a dear friend of mine, Nicole Canyon, Australian lady. An actress as well. We've done some work, films together, works together, um, and she taught me this item because we were uh, we were doing the thing with we had the same manager and we were doing the Hollywood. She'd bring us there two or three weeks. She got to go to all the studios, all the everything, and meet all the people. Blah blah blah. But she would always get calls. She's so busy. She get calls, and I was reasserting myself in voiceover. And I got this call. She goes, "Oh, all you do is hop on the bed." Take your phone, get under the blanket, because the mics in these phones are so good. <laughs> you get under the blanket, right? Put mm -hmm. a light up, flashlight on, put the script in front of you. If you know what you're doing, read the script. When you send that in, whatever little, it'll be 90% clean. They'll clean the rest. And over and over again, they will think, great, thanks for getting it in. Because everything now on voiceover is quick. How fast can you do it? Can you get it in? Can you get it in? So literally, your phone is a studio. You get the 4K cameras in these phones. Some mine is four and an 8K camera because I'm a nutcase. I uh -huh. spend. Well, my phones are just for the cameras. That's what I look at that. Then I, if it happens to make, let me call and do this. It's good. But I have three sitting right here. I got one Samsung here, a Samsung high end Samsung here with a four and 8K. Hold on, I got my corporate phone. Is uh, of course the latest iPhone. <laughs> wow. And I'm yeah. talking you want another Samsung. We're doing this on my phone that I had before. This one is what I use for uh, my live and this kind of stuff. So it just sits in its little studio. Uh, and uh, yeah. So All yeah, right. make it over your head, put it there, you deliver it. But you can get home studios. Uh, you can set yourself really good. Just make sure you go and wherever you're local, find someone to just read with because mm -hmm. they have to listen to you. They'll hear things in your voice that you don't hear. You know, awesome. and and I'd be happy to work for you. We can squeeze some time in now and then. Give a busy man something to find something more to do, right? Yeah. We just have to get yeah. We got to critique ourselves hard because in voice, and I teach that in acting as well. Voice is everything, and that's something I learned from a Mel Street interview. So it took me to another level because she said the first thing that she worked on is the voice of her characters, of her portrayals, hmm. and what it does, it makes you focus on. That every word has a meaning. Yes. Every word has a meaning because we talk like us right now. We're having dialogue. Every word that we're saying is important. We're delivering it with consciousness, right? I so agree. it's not. It's, uh, my, when I say I teach my course, it's called Authentic Cinematic Truth Act. Authentic Cinematic Truth means don't act, tell the truth. So as a voiceover, there's visual for the people. So your voice and how you say things matter. And I've been in the casting room where people think, oh, they're watching your reel. I tell actors, they're not watching your reel. It might be a dozen people in that casting room. You come up or they bring you up now on the screen before and they're just playing. They're doing other things. But all of a sudden, they'll hear something and they'll look. 
Uh-huh. And actors tend to be who want to professionally. I have somebody coach, you're very lazy about your voice work. I do voice work every day. It's on the day that I don't do voice work. So, oh, you got a good voice because I work at it. Yes. You might have a natural gift, but I work on my voice every day. I love it. You I'm can gonna... drive, read the street signs, Charlie. Read every sign when you're driving. Mm-hmm. In the car by yourself, no one can hear you. Act like a crazy man. I read every single sign. And that I learned from my friend Nicole. She goes, that's how you get the training in so it's not something extra. So I talk out loud, read out loud, read every street sign, you know? Hmm. Very interesting. Also, quick voiceover tips for everyone to hear the or not. Or not. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna practice that. Well, I have um I have two videos. These are my my trailers. So I want you to grade them. All right. Each oh no, on camera live. No. Uh, yeah, two of them. Oh, we got to do it, you know. It's uh, but critique, we critique is a good thing. Before we start, let's talk about critiquing. Something I learned from my dad, mm-hmm. and um, he said, "You got to be able to take critiques on. Got to be able. Everybody just wants to hear the good stuff. Take critique." Well, I'm an ethnologist. I always got to know the origins, so I did research and haven't taken Latin. What is the word critique? Critique comes from the same root as the word Christ. Mm-hmm. It means to anoint and to enlighten. So, giving a critique is a blessing. Not yes. a put down, but the way people do it, and I discovered this by going through Toastmasters. I was already considered a award winning speaker, but I put my Toastmasters to get to another level. I learned the best thing I learned was not in speaking and critiquing the other spe- speakers, which you do all the time more than you speak. And that is at least give three positives before you get the one that might, you know, say this is not really as done as well as it could. And then the way we word it was, Geez, Charlie, I really like this. I like this. I like this. At least three. I try to get five. But here's what I think. It's just my opinion. What might take you to the next? What might take you to the next level? I love that. And so I do all my that way and everything. So for everybody listening, even work with family and children, okay, here's what I really like about what you did. One, two, three, minimum. Try to go for five, but be sincere. Don't just make them up. Look, look detailed. Look at that. And then... But here's what I think, if you're interested, what might take you to the next level. If they're not interested, say nothing. If they're interested, then give them those things. But I'll only give one or two. All right. Well, so I now, caveat, then I'll do it live on air. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, listen, here's the first one. All right. Here we go. That's All it. Right. Yep. That's it. No words, no nothing. But that was something. But this one, this one is going to be hard for you. All right. Oh, it's gonna Some be black people in this world, you can rob, but an old Spanish man ain't that dude. You could jump out of the dark with a gun. You'd be like, Poppy, give me all your money. He said, I don't give you nothing. You'd be like, Poppy, you better give me your money before I shoot the shit. I said, look, I'll give you five dollars. That's it. Ah, oh, you have. I see already a, a motif developing with you. The quick flashes, right? Yes. Yeah. So first of all, I really like both of them. I especially like the second one. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's uh, TikTok worthy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so overall, performance wise, good articulation. I can understand. You said something about your articulation. Uh, mm-hmm. Coming from mass, I still 
have to work on it. When I came back after spending time shooting there, I had to slow my speech down again because we speak very fast there. And we have this way of, it's the mass lingo, right? We just understand something, we slur over it. But you have to, so I think your articulation was great in both of those. Uh, this first one, there wasn't enough difference for me to really pick up anything. So I, it would be a false for me to critique it. The next one, I love the style of the quick flipping that you do between shots. Mm -hmm. But what you say is very salient. You're hitting, I heard some things about stereotypes and things mm -hmm. like that. I like the fact that you just use hats very quickly to change and give a different image to the character. That was all really good. Now, for me, like right now, I'm holding the, I have the phone in the carriage. It's up there portrait-wise because I didn't want to fiddle around with it. But, mm -hmm. I tend to like, but I also know on the platforms like TikTok and Instagram, they like that view. So if that's what you were shooting for, awesome. But if you weren't shooting for that those platforms particularly, only thing I might say as a critique, I would like you to turn to landscape or to cinematic, cinematic position and give me a wider view. Because when you do that, it creates more interest in the background. There you fill up the whole thing. Mm -hmm. which is okay for what you did. Believe me, it was really good. But just if I wanted to do more, I'd say, well, can you pull it back with it? Give yourself more room with this. If it's not for TikTok or Instagram, with this viewpoint, and then, of course, you go through the one-third, two-thirds. Mm -hmm. That's the very, very basic, you know, framing thing that you do in photography. It's the same with film. The only thing we do different in filmmaking, which is tedious, and which is why directors have a lot of assistance, because we're not only sitting with, if it, if, when there's the budget, you know, big screens, you know, sitting in a booth, in a chair, but we're gritting before the entire view, right? As we mm -hmm. grid, oh, there's a shadow there. Okay, uh, tell so-and-so, there'll be someone on that part of the set. I need this to be moved, something's still in the shadow. I want the shadow gone. We go through everything. Interesting. Then we go through the rehearsal, and as the actors move, we're looking again. So the director is the visual eyes. The director, he or she is the only person seeing everything. They see, and what they're doing on the set is mixing paint. They're not making a movie. The paint is, the cameras are like the brushes. The actors are the pigment, and we're mixing a palette, this immense palette that we can take into the editing room where we can then paint a masterpiece called a motion picture or film, hmm. right? So, but we're gritting, we're gritting everything back and forth, just almost like a security person does over a crowd for, for a political figure or a celebrity. You grit. Very you nice. Grit, you're very detailed. You go back and, you, and then you grit the other way. And you look, and when, you, when everything's, that's what the setup is long. When everything's set, then you can say, we can go now. But the director's doing that all along before even the actors are on the set. There's so much going on in the set of the shot, you know? And if we have to do it on a small, that's why this way helps you do that because, of course, you has more space. So if you do use this, just do a quick grid. You know, sometimes you just adjust the angle because you, you're not setting up a production, right, just to get something more interesting in the background, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that that's just some basics there. But that was really good, actually. I think you should do something. That would be fun on TikTok. I mentioned you get people following you. It actually is on TikTok. It is on oh, it is. Hey, yeah. There you go. Awesome. Right. Very Just nice. I'm going to post that link in my, mess in my message so I can go check you out. <laughs> following that. I like that. That was some really good stuff. There is. Um, 
I uh, I like voiceover is something I want to do, um, and uh, I can't wait to uh, to kind of just rehearse on it. I'm going to do a lot of things that you said, and one of the things is I'm going to try that blanket over the head. I'm going to do that, you know, and um, I could definitely uh, um, picture that and envision it. And just like you, you have a number number of phones. Cell phones, that's the same yeah. with me. I got different yeah. things. Got iPads all over the place. There's so much yeah. things that I can use. So, Well, voiceover is a lot of fun. It's funny that we talk about that because I just got cast yesterday in a voiceover animated project, which is so much fun. It's been a while. And that was the intention of the call. I'm going to be on this woman's show. Uh, uh, they're coming to interview me on Monday. I'm doing an hour one of those kind of, you know, what do you call it? Interview shows, right? Mm-hmm. But she was talking about her project and she was going through the characters that she created in this project. And so she's telling her life story through chickens. So she's actually telling her story, but she's created these chicken characters, right? She's <laughs> written songs for them and everything. So I was sitting just laughing. I was literally lying on my bed and the other one cracking up. So she got all done and because, you know, hey, look, I'm a performer, right? I got to give mm-hmm. a little something, right? I said, you know, I said, uh, if you have a need, <laughs> I said, I get this character that I've been doing since a young man. It's called Old Man Jack. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do Old Man Jack for you. Uh, okay. okay, Old Man Jack says, they tell me, but you don't even know. I'm telling you, my brothers are turn me down. You don't turn me down. I name ain't Jack. My name Timothy. But they call me Jack. You gonna give me some of that Jack Daniels, baby? I need my Jack Daniels each and every day. I need my Jack Daniels. Boy, I go give me some of the drink. I love it. So that he's based on two real people. <laughs> but I did this voice for her, right? She went in hysteria, and so, so she goes, "I got a character. He's Southern Comfort Chicken." She says, "Do you want to play Southern Comfort Chicken?" I said, "Yeah, I don't drink some. I told I drink Jack Daniels, baby." I'll bring some coming. I want those little coming anytime. Just give me a name. So, anyways, I got the role just by being a ham. <laughs> 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 <was> a role. <laughs> that happened I yesterday. So she was cracking up, and now I'm going to play another character too because I did another voice for her. She goes, "Oh my god, the lead character was Lollipop Cock." Okay, who's a rooster who's just so conceited. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, his his sidekick is a very poshy person. I did this for the. Oh, curious it is and what a bizarre coincidence, my dear lady. But I think I've met you somewhere before, which is actually a line from the UNESCO play called The Ball Soprano. But I mm. did The Ball Soprano a couple of different times. I remember that, but I always kind of overdeer it a little bit, you know. And, uh, and so she loved it because, well, you can play this character too. So I got cast in this uh, great project that I can't wait to uh, do it because it's just actors at the mics hamming it up. It's it's so the most fun to do with those animated stuff. So I'm excited about getting to do that. <laughs> I am. I love it already, man. You gotta keep me in tune with that uh that project and uh when it's done in its entirety, please let me know because uh I definitely wanna show that on this podcast and uh Yeah, I'm sure Elise would be happy to have you do it. Her name is Elise Hollywood Evans. She's amazing. She's amazing. And uh She's a fiance of my best buddy out here, Robert Parham, who's a filmmaker, who was one of my students in film. And now he's out there making martial art films left and right. He's amazing. So they're a power couple. So they wanted me, she wanted me on her show. Robert called me. I called her. 
and I could cast in her animated project. How lovely is that? <laughs> That's very nice. So very fun. Nice. Which, which leads me to the last question of the night and um, of the day. The uh, who would you like to see on the Really Charlie podcast? Wow. Um, well, yeah, you know, let me just breathe for a moment. There's some people that would uh, be amazing to have on. Okay. I want you, I will set it up for you, Audra Bryant. Okay. I have the biggest heart for Audra. She is amazing, one of the most amazing women I've ever met. And we met in LA. We did a small project together. Uh, we played opposite each other, and we were picked for it by, what's, I can't think of his name right now. He's now in New York with the studios, but, and I had to play an abusive husband, the antithesis of anything that I believe in. And then I didn't even know Audra was in it. He goes, we're waiting for the actress who's playing your wife to come down. Then it was Audra. And we like looked and went, oh my goodness. And we had never worked together. Wow. But I'm a serious method actor and I could get into the role no matter what it is. So we did the scenes, but they were so intense and it was so that you could the, the the level of violence and and hurt and all this stuff was captured so well that the whole crew and everybody was silent at the end, and we were just both like because we have this great wonderful friendship and connection. We just looked at each other and collapsed like in each other's arms because it was so hard to do that, even though you're an actor because. It was against everything I believe in. She's always seen me in this magnanimous way. And now, even though it was actually had to force him to see me as um, this terrible thing in her, in her life, even though it wasn't her. So as an actor, we call that clearing. We have to clear ourselves because we don't want that stuff to stay in our soul because we've heard things about uh, what's the young man who played the Joker and other actors who, who uh, were met. Phoenix. <laughs> Phoenix, yeah, uh, get his name. first name. Yeah. The other young one uh, that did the Joker. Um, yeah, his last name is in a Phoenix. Um, uh, no, it's not, um, I don't remember. God, everybody it was, knows. It, it was the latest, latest one. No, the one where he finally found him in an apartment in New York. He he had overdosed. Oh, uh, blonde guy, Heath Ledger. That's it. Is all right. Heath Ledger. Heath Ledger. <laughs> you know, the, you know. When you get these heavy emotional roles, um, and I didn't know what was going to be, I just uh, he's a director. I know, so yeah, I'll come down. Sure, I'm glad to be part because you, you don't you don't say no, like you say. I don't say no because you you want to have these relationships, and nothing may never come from them, but usually something does somewhere along the line. You reconnect with people with the years, and like Audrey, I had already known each other. We didn't know we were playing opposite each other. I had no idea. But mm -hmm. uh, oh, Ray Sinamato is his name. The director's name is Ray Sinamato. Wonderful guy working in the studios in New York. The last I knew, I haven't talked to him in a few years. But um, yeah, you have to clear your soul um, because it can be very intense sometimes. And we do the same thing with love scenes. You know, other actors get lost, have affairs. No, the minute you get done, you sit up, disconnect. Yeah, I disconnect. Don't talk after the set. You know, blah blah blah. Just stay away because because what we put, what we're portraying is true. Mm -hmm. In that given context. So if you carry that truth outside the context, it's going to become, become true. So there's a mm -hmm. discipline if you're in this entertainment field and you're going to do acting, but you want to have integrity to people's lives and relationships and all those different things and the ones that you have too. So Very nice. Audra Bryant is, I, I will put it at the top of the list. And I'm going to write her after this, through, uh, after I get off through Facebook, I'll send her a quick message or I'll give her a call. 
She has a book out. She's just doing such good work for the women in our communities that I just think she's amazing. She was one in the shower scene there. I love it. I definitely will reach. You know what? Once I get her contact info from you, I'm going to reach out to her right away and make that happen. Uh, I got a few slots in June that I need to um, fill up. What's besides Audra? Hold on. There's got to be... Let me think. Audra, Audra, Audra. Who is that? Oh, Yemenya Nepu. Yemenya mm-hmm. Nepu. She's an African-American Indian woman out here in Sacramento area. Uh, amazing healer. I'm actually coaching her right now um, and helping her bring her healing and what she does up to another level. But she she has great knowledge on the spiritual traditions in both, both in indigenous cultures across the board. Amazing, amazing lady. Um, I can connect you with her. Those are the two people, Audra Bryant and then Yemen Yanapu. Okay. All right. Um, I appreciate that, and I will reach out to them. My honor, brother. Ali, yes, cousin. Ali D'Souza, you are an amazing man, a blessed man, and I continue to uh, say this because it's so, so true. Um, I don't give anybody any kind of praises if they don't deserve it. Um, I keep it short and sweet, high and goodbye, and then move on. You know, but <laughs> as you know, I'm a people person. I love people, love, yeah, love interacting on. with people. I could be anywhere. I don't care where I am. I could be there for the very first time. By the time I walk out of that room, I'm going to have a friend or two. And um, Yeah, you, you're like that. That's just what's awesome. I and mean, I can, I'm going to try to model more of that. Are you recording this by chance? Yes, fully recorded. So I can I can get a copy of the recording so we can take snippets for marketing. Yeah, I'll uh, definitely uh, share with you the both MP3 or actually um, MP4, MP3 and MP4. Um, I'll oh, get that okay. to you. The hardest thing is um, when I'm trying to share it with the guest. Um, the files are so large that um. It's hard for you to get there. Use WeTransfer.com. WeTransfer.com for free or BigTransfer.com. Both those uh, big files. I think it's called big files. But I've used WeTransfer. Occasionally, some will do it in big files. But they just have you upload it. They send us the link, and then we can download it. All right. I'll do that. Um, In fact, I remember the guy, the gentleman that did the intro for me for this podcast, um, he actually used that file to send me that particular file. So I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, wetransfer.com is awesome. All right, my brother, you stay blessed and um, continue to do what you're doing. Anytime you need me, just call me. And uh, oh, Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's birthday. Right. It's birthday week for me. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember. Technically, so uh, yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to ease back a little. Like that's gonna happen, but I'll pretend <laughs> <laughs> and have a little bit of fun. You should, you should. Okay. Thanks so much. It's been an honor and a blessing, brother, for you to have me on. And I send, I thank the mothers. I thank the mothers. I thank the mothers. I thank the mothers. I thank the mothers and the divine source that gives them breath. And all the prophets thereof. Amen. Amen. Ashe. Namaste. Ciao for now. Awesome. Great ending. Um, and one thing I, re- I, I just, everything I took 
and I absorbed it, you know. And uh, like you said, was it X X X Y? Um, and on Mother's Day, that that really happy Mother's Day, everyone. And uh, yes, yeah. thank mothers five times first. That's it. Love you, brother. Well, let's continue to do this at any point, any time. We can do a quick podcast for any particular reason. You just reach out to me and we'll do it. Um, we definitely do one on Rep Blue and I can break that down more and show the video. And I, I just want to get people in our communities who have that, they have to have that some connection to medical field, that type of thing. I'm not looking for quote unquote salespeople, I'm looking for people who can just relate to people and help them and help us save the Medicare system for, for the for the senior citizens like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you look no bit of 40 years old in my book, man. You're 30. Uh-huh. You're, you're very, take care of yourself, and I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Charlie. Thank you, cousin. Ciao. God bless, man. Bless. Bless. Love you too. What a guest. What a guest. And uh, um, this is definitely an extension of our time. But um, when you have somebody like that on 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 your podcast or during your interview, you really, really have to let them be heard um, because the intellect, the know-how, the life skills, life experiences, um, the professionalism that they more they may portray and, and as Ali portrays is, is is something that you have to have on record, whether it's audio or video, just so everything they say is a teaching moment for the next person that hears their conversation. So wow. Great podcast. I appreciate it. Continue to support the Really Charlie podcast on YouTube. Please like and subscribe to the channel. And you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I have a couple of pages in a group called the Really Charlie Podcast or Really Charlie Podcast Group. I'm on Instagram. Um, just reach out. If you want to talk, you want to be a, a guest, you can definitely reach me there. Or you can uh, send me an email at reallycharliepodcast at gmail.com. All right, everyone, I'll see you next Wednesday. Um, and please, please don't forget myself and Russell Ramis on WMB1 Radio. And uh, we are hosting a show there every Tuesday. But you can get WMB1 Radio on your Apple or Android devices. Just download the app. And as I do on Tuesday nights, I say, serving you R&B music on the rocks. Chilled music with chilled hosts, where you get to listen to the music you love the most on WMB1 Radio. All right, this is the Really Charlie Podcast. Power to you, man. Love you all. Take care and have a great, great night. And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Take care. the really charlie podcast a weekly show with the one person to make you say really charlie
on the Really Charlie Podcast. Tune in. It's the Really Charlie Podcast. Making memories last. Your time, my time, we all shine on the Really Charlie Podcast.